So we thank you for your saving power. We even thank you, God, for your keeping power. So we choose this day to ascribe, to put in your category worth because of what you have done. Now, Lord Jesus, as we have entered into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise, as we have pressed into this place of worship, we ask, oh God, that you would now speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Lord, please don't let us just have an experience that doesn't last past this morning. But we're asking you, God, for transformational power to be released in this moment. To make what you paid to save us worth it. And so, Spirit of the living God, move in this moment like only you can. Lord, I confess in front of all of these people that I need you like I never needed you before. I need you to stand in my body and think with my mind and speak with my tongue. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For I confess that you are my Lord, you're my strength, you're my redeemer. Do it to the end that some soul would be saved, some life transformed. I pray that the light bulb would come on for somebody. I pray that somebody would quit wandering around the decision they need to make and that they would stand firmly on who you are in their lives and God I pray that as we do that you would not only fix us but fix what's around us fix who's around us and let this change cascade until it transforms the entire world God that's a big order only you can do that and so we give you permission to do what you want to do, to say what you want to say. And then God, give us the grace to obey. And we'll make sure that you get all the credit and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I need somebody one more time, just, just out of your own spirit, just out of your own experience. Give him glory. Bless his name. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of Almighty God. The book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, beginning at the first verse, Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. I'm really just going to deal with, uh, I hope to work my way through to verse 2, but I don't know if I'm going to get there. I'm reading from the New International Version. It might differ a little bit from what you might have um, there with you. But Paul says this in Romans, the 12th chapter, and the first verse in the New International Translation. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then he says in verse 2, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when that happens, then you will be able to test 
and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. He says in verse 1, I urge you. I urge you. It's, it's the strongest word that comes between I beg you and I command you. It, it's, it's, it's a strong suggestion that really ought to be taken as I need to pay attention. He says... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to not have to have God take you, but to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Uh, I, I may talk in and around the idea of making and maintaining our commitment. Making and maintaining our commitment. Paul says, I, I, I strongly suggest a, a course of action for you based upon the mercies of God. Now, to, you got to connect everything that's happening here because now, just a little quick, quick little note. Whenever you're studying the Bible and you see a therefore, you need to take time to see what it's there for. Therefore usually means I need you to go back and look at what was said so that you'll understand what I'm saying now. And Paul isn't saying just go back to something that he said in chapter 11. He goes back and he connects everything that he's already said in this letter. In the first, second, and third chapter of Romans, he talks about and qualifies what sin is. Because if you don't know what sin is, you don't know why you need a savior. If all you have is just issues, then you won't know how bad off you really are and where your destiny is as it relates to whether you're going to spend eternity in smoking or in non-smoking. So he talks about what sin is. He says to the Jewish folks, you need to recognize you ain't got it all together either. He says that in chapter 2. In chapter 1, he says that part of what sin came from is when we know what what. We ought to do, but we decided to do something different. And we changed what God said into the lie that fit what we want to do. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 23, he says, All have sinned and come short of God's standard. Now, you might be a pretty good person, but being a good person isn't the same as God's standard of righteousness and holiness. And so everybody has come short of that standard. Then he talks about in chapters 4 and 5 that because of who God is, he saw how bad off we were and we, he knew we couldn't pay what our sin cost. And so he sent his own son and he died in our place. And he quantifies that the best way to get out of my sin problem is to take the salvation that comes only by faith. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't be good enough to do it. You have to trust that what Jesus did works for me then in chapter 6 7 and 8 he talks about what it means now that I am saved how to walk in what it means to be saved because some folks confuse what it means to be saved they think that you can do whatsoever you want to do and God is just gonna look at it and smile and pat you on the back and be like it'll be all right because we're good he says no it requires of us to submit ourselves to the process of God's spirit in us turning us around on the inside 
And he talks about and sets up what it means to walk by the Spirit in chapter 8. Then in chapter 10, he goes back and deals with those believers who grew up in a church environment that says, well, I know all of that, so I think I'm good. And he has to say to them, now, just because you've been in church doesn't make you holy any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. That you have to recognize and understand that you, you need some help too. And he, after all of that, he says, now in view of all that God has already done for me and you, in view of those mercies, he says, it ought to make sense to us to decide on our own to bring ourselves completely to God and say, I give up. I surrender. It, it should make sense to us to not have to for him to have to snatch us any more than he already has. Now, some of y'all may not have any experience with snatching. Um, well, back in my uh, younger days, um, I, I, was, I was, had some mischievous problems uh, in my character. And um, my mama, I, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of, they say about uh, middle children, that uh, we're so neglected, we find ways to get attention. And I think that we had all the rules that we had in my family for me. Uh, because my mama, we'd pull up to the store, and she'd always have to have a speech before we went inside. And the speech went something like this. Now, we're going to go in this store, and if you embarrass me, I'm going to embarrass you. And I forget what, what happened. I was about maybe five or six. But some kind of way, I forgot the speech that we had before we went in the store. And something caught my attention in the store that made me forget the speech. And so I, I knew I was supposed to stay by the cart that mama was pushing. But whatever it was that drew my attention, I decided that was my opportunity to run toward what I wanted, even though I knew what the speech was before we went. And as I was running toward whatever it was that I wanted, I don't know what happened because I didn't see behind me. But I'm pretty sure that when I broke out running, my mom was still at the cart. So I'm not sure how her hand reached from behind the cart to the five or six feet that I had gotten away from the cart. All I remember was I was running toward whatever the thing was and I felt this hand snatch the back of my afro and while my feet were still running, it was not hitting any ground because I was pulled back toward the basket, I got snatched. Paul says God has done too much to need to snatch. He's already given all of the speech on the front side of who he is and what he's about and what he has done and what he has offered and what he's up to and what he wants to accomplish in our lives by his grace according to his love. So he shouldn't have to do anything else to convince us that he wants to bring us into a transformative experience that will literally revolutionize everything about our lives. Now, now check out what Paul says in this first verse. He, he, he's very careful to make sure that he delineates certain aspects of what needs to go into what it means to be transformed by the power of God. <clears throat> 
He says in that first verse, he says, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is you can make the choice to get off the altar. In the Old Testament, they would bring the animal, and before they would bring that animal as a gift to God, they would kill the animal first and spill out all of the blood. Then they would take the animal and put that animal on the altar to be completely consumed by the fire. But Paul says, God doesn't want to kill you to make you right. He, he doesn't want to force us into anything, but he does want us to make the decision to crawl onto the altar ourselves. To choose to be the living sacrifice whereby I am no longer in charge of me. One of the challenges that many of us have is that there are still too many areas of our lives where we are still in charge. That we have a head knowledge of what it means to belong to God and to submit to God. But then there are some other areas that we tell God, well, well I don't want to change that yet. You can't say amen, just say ouch. There, there, there's some areas that if we were to be honest, we hope God never asks us to clean up. But if I am to be a living sacrifice, I don't get a say-so in what he chooses to change and revolutionize and transform. Because I know some people that, that they are as saved as they can be except when it comes to their money. I know some folks who are as saved as they can be until it comes to their language. I know there are some folks that are saved as they can be until it comes to their sexuality. God says, I, what I want from you is for you to trust me to transform your life, but I can't fix it till you bring it to the shop. You, you, you can't ask God to, to turn your life into this kingdom power, uh, a, a transformative agent that is placed wherever it is and wherever God places you. You are a game changer if he doesn't get to get the controls. Paul says, I urge you, I, I beseech you, I, I, I make a strong suggestion that based upon what God has done, that you and I would willingly bring all of us and let God be the one who is completely in control of all of us. I, I, I say this because um, now I, I am a firm believer that we are saved by grace and we stay saved by grace. I don't believe that you, you come to God by faith in what Jesus has done. And then all of a sudden you have to turn into this automaton who has to follow all of these rules. But at the same time, there's some stuff that don't make no sense. That's coming from us who are supposed to be living sacrifices. Uh, this might get tight in here for a minute. That, that there are some areas of us that we keep jumping off the altar. And we say, well, well, God's still working on me. How can he if you keep jumping off the altar? 
Well, I'm, I'm mostly saved, but I'm still working in this area. Well, why doesn't he get a chance to work in that area? He says, I'm urging you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But by, by utilizing that, that analogy of the body in the Hebrew mind, that the body meant all of your life. Everything about you, Paul says, I'm urging you to give it to him as an act of your worship. Because it's easy to lift holy hands on Sunday. It's much harder to let him take control of your anger issues. It's easy to clap along when the praise team is singing. It's a whole different thing when when it's, it's your control issues that are driving people away and not letting Jesus shine through you. Paul says what he wants from us. He's not asking much. In view of what he has given, all he's asking for is everything. He's not asking for much, just everything you got. In view of all that he gave, all that he continues to give, And all that he has planned for you from what you give, all he's asking is everything. That you would trust what he has up to in view of his mercy. Because mercy comes because it doesn't have to. He didn't have to send his son. He didn't have to give his spirit in you. He didn't have to have this view of your life that makes you worthy and worthwhile and purposeful when sin had messed us up, left us, and dropped us on the trash heap. But he was merciful. And in view of God's mercy, all he's asking for is I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want who you are to be lived out loud in front of other people in every facet, in every area, so that God is seen through everything about you. Because, listen, God doesn't have a problem with your social drinking, but can he be seen when you lit? He doesn't have a problem with how he made your personality, but when you're flirting with somebody else's wife, can he be seen? Because he says, this is true worship. True and proper worship doesn't happen when they up here is playing in the spirit and the praise team is singing. True worship happens, watch this, when people, you think people aren't looking at you. That, that's the true worship that comes out of our lives is the holiness that we reflect when we think we won't get caught. I know it's tight. But the Bible says there's some stuff God used to let you get away with. But that season is over. He's not, he, he's not winking at your sin. Some stuff ain't cute no more. I, I was stuck. Uh, my wife and I were stuck on Thursday in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport for nine hours. Uh, we were supposed to have a one-hour layover. The, the flight that we were supposed to be on got canceled. 
then the flight that we were supposed to get was coming from Cancun, got diverted because of weather delays, and at this didn't make any sense to me, at the American Airlines headquarters of Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, they couldn't find another airplane for eight hours. And so we sat for nine hours. And while we were sitting there, uh, there was this couple with this little kid, cute little joker. I mean, that little booger was cute <laughs> for the first 30 minutes. And, and, and then, you know, it, the, the, the kid went from, you know, messing around with his parents and not listening to his parents to then going around messing with other people and doing stuff and he wasn't their child. And Mama Nem sat over there and was, and was giggling. And I had to keep Lady Bree in her seat because the black mama in her was ready to not just snatch the little one, but snatch mama them and say, this ain't cute no more. It was cute when at first when we didn't know that it was, just, it was just him being precocious. But now that we know it's you not having any control, now it's not cute anymore. And God said it used to be cute when you didn't know better. But now that you've been in this church, now that you know the word, now that you've experienced the spirit of God, now that you know what his mercy is in your life, some stuff ain't cute no more. That his desire is that we would let him have all of us. Because that's really the only way that we worship him in light of and in view of his mercies. God is saying what, what he is desiring from us at this point is to quit playing games with him. Um. I was working with a guy, um, it was several years ago, and to, to see where he is now, based upon where he was a few years ago, uh, he got, God brought him, you know, this amazing woman that he had been praying for. And so he came to me, Pastor, I need you to help me figure out how to close this deal. Oh, all right, okay, we'll work through this thing. Uh, but the challenge was he didn't, he wasn't ready to commit to her because he didn't want to give up on the just-in-case. Notice how none of the bros said amen. It was all the women that had reaction because all the fellas understand there might be one. I ain't fished in every pond, so I don't know. And, and this young brother was struggling. And, and, and I, I, I would ask him, okay, so, so you say you love her. Yeah, man, I love her, man. That's, that's my boo. That's, that's, that's who I want God to let me have as my wife. I said, well, he can't let you have her until you're willing to let go of possibilities and options. What ace in the hole do you still have just in case God doesn't do what God said he would do? What, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your backup plan that's keeping you from being the complete living sacrifice that he's asking for? What, what's the just-in-case scenario that you still have in your head? God says, that's what I want. I want that right there. I want you to trust me with that. I want you to put that willingly on the altar. Watch this. As an act of true worship. 
because it'll be harder and harder from this point on to worship in here if he doesn't have access to that over there. Because don't fool yourself. I used to, I used to, <laughs> I used to frustrate Lady Bree when we were first, when we were in that, in that interviewing phase. And I would tell her, I need you to pray all the time for me because I don't trust my flesh. And she said, your faith needs to be stronger than that. It's not about my faith not being strong. I know what I'm capable of. Do you really understand what your flesh is capable of doing if you don't put it on the altar? Run, run some what ifs. What if God decided to withdraw his mercy? What if you decided to turn your back on all that God has already done? What, what if you decided to, that you've got this and you don't need God anymore? Because those what ifs are what we are capable of outside of putting all of us on the altar. And there's at least some of us in here that, that are comfortable enough with God having forgiven our past to say, trust us on this. You don't want to pay that price. You don't, you don't want God to have to snatch some things from you. When he says, bring it to me willingly. All I'm asking for is everything. I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to bring that living sacrifice to me. And watch this. When I bring all of me, even the dusty parts, even the ratchet parts, even the raggedy parts, even the, the broken, messed up parts, when I bring it, watch this, he sees what I bring as holy and acceptable. Because in our minds, we say, well, I'm going to bring it when I get it right. When I get victory in this, then, then I'm a, if you could do it apart from God, he wouldn't ask you for it. And he, watch this, he doesn't even need you to clean it up. The minute you bring it, he sees it as clean. Now, now that he has it, now that it's under his control, he'll do the hard work. He just needs you to bring it. He needs you to bring you. Are, are you too culturally comfortable to be a living sacrifice? What, what, what things that you see as habits are actually objects of your idol worship? He says, I urge you, I strongly recommend, in light of what God has already done for you, willingly bring all of you. Let him in every room in the house, even the ones where you stash the stuff to try to get it out of you, bring all of that to him. When you do it, he sees that as holy and acceptable. He sees that as an act of proper worship. Because, watch this, you haven't even dipped into worship if you still have some rooms in your house that Jesus isn't allowed in. 
and, and I, I, I got to kind of pause because though I believe in grace, God does have a standard. He does have a requirement. There is an expectation that we would give all of us to him and let him fit us for holiness. God brought you to church today for you to hear it's not cute anymore. He wants it. And he wants you. He wants to turn, he wants to revolutionize our lives into true worship. But the way that he does that is based upon what we bring. I wish. And me, because I think you're the bomb.com. I think you're amazing. I wish I could have you at this altar and sprinkle some holy water on you and make you turn around three times and hubba lubba 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 over your life and it'd be done. But I can't make the decision to make you into a living sacrifice. I'm too busy trying to bring my own stuff to the altar. But God brought somebody to church today to give you an opportunity to quit trying to run from him. I learned the hard way. Your legs are too short. You're not going to be able to outrun him when he's got his finger on some stuff and saying it's not cute anymore. It's time to give it up. It's time to let me have that. I know you, you, well, Lord, just give me a couple more years. No, no, it's time. Lord, just give me a few more months. No, it's time. You cannot move forward playing games with me anymore. He doesn't want Christians who play hokey pokey. It's not cute anymore. He sees, he knows, he has given his mercy long enough, and he's looking for somebody to say, I'm done fighting. I am willingly bringing myself, bringing my issues, bringing my drama, bringing my temptations, my struggles, my weaknesses. I'm bringing everything to him. I don't have time to play games with people. I've tried too often to impress people on the outside because I don't want them to see the drama on the inside. And so since I can't fool people anymore, I'm sure not going to try to fool God. Somebody, the last six months of your life has been an ongoing wrestling with God because you know it's time. To bring some things to him and to put them on the altar. But you keep saying, God, give me a little more time with this. You keep telling yourself, well, I, I'm going to fix it in a minute. Paul says, I urge you. I beseech you. Brothers and sisters, in light of all the mercy that God has already given, he's ready for you to bring it willingly. Why is God trying to take my fun? He's not trying to take your fun. He just wants to see 
if you'll let him drive. Because if you let him be in control, if you allow this to be your act of worship, you haven't even seen fun. I need everybody standing on their feet. I'm done. I'm done. I can't even get to verse 2. God says to somebody in this place, I'm tired of the games. I'm tired of you giving me excuses. I'm tired of you running. This is the point in time where you've got to decide to put yourself on the altar. He's not asking for much. All he wants is everything. But in light of what he's done, he's not asking too much. So this moment is for somebody at their seats. If you've been wrestling with God because you know it's time to turn it over to him and let him be your savior. You've been wrestling him a long time. And he's kept giving mercy and giving mercy and giving mercy and giving you opportunities to decide. Well, today's the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You can't fight it anymore. You can't play games anymore. You can't wiggle out of this. You know what you cannot do on your own. And you need to give everything to him. Maybe you are right there at your seat. You're already saved. But there's some sanctification issues. Oh, you, you got fire insurance. You're going to heaven. That's, that's not the problem. But there's some raggediness in your holiness. Or some areas where it's time to quit playing games with God. Because he wants it. He wants you. And you've got to decide to put you and that thing and that habit and that relationship and those struggles, you need to put them on the altar as an act of worship. Right where you are at your seat. You need to make that decision today. Watch this. Even if you decide, well, I'm not ready yet, yet, you, you made a decision. But in view of all the mercies of what God has already done, do you really want to take the chance to tempt fate when God set up today just for you? Right there at your seat. I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, and do personal business with Jesus Christ. I urge you, my brothers and my sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is true and proper worship. Give Him that area. Give him that habit. 
You know that thing isn't holy. You know you're not in control of it. Give it to him. How can you praise God and say those things out of that same mouth? Give it to him. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you in this moment. Lord, I sense the internal struggle in some people. I can sense the rationalizations and the excuses. There are some of us who are telling ourselves, well, I can't give it up. Father, we need your mercy right there. We need your help. We're so tied to what's killing us, we don't want to give it up. But you're asking us to willingly put it on the altar. And so, Father, as much as we can, we take ourselves, we take that issue, we take that habit, we take that relationship, and we choose to put it on the altar. It's not dead. It might jump off. But, Father, as much as we can, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And we give you permission to work in every area, touch on everything, get involved in even the ratchet stuff. We don't know how you're going to do it, but we trust that you can. In light of all that you've already done. Father, I pray right now for those who are struggling to surrender their lives to you as Savior. I didn't say that they need to be church folk. I didn't say that they need to be baptized. But Father, they need to let your son be their Savior. Give saving faith right now. To get over the games and the rationalizations and to trust you. Father, for the brothers and sisters in Christ, give us the faith to quit playing games and willingly offer ourselves to you. Do it, God. You've been too good to us. Your mercy is too strong. Fix us because we're broken. Help us because we're weak. Change us because we've been this way too long. Thank you that you are accepting this worship. Thank you that you are pleased with this moment where we release these things to you. So, Father, fix marriage right now in the name of Jesus. Fix sibling relationships in the name of Jesus. Fix broken hearts right now. transform addictive areas in our lives
break the spirit of adultery right now in the name of Jesus. We offer us and all of us to you as living sacrifices. In Jesus' name.